uh, we have been talking about the space between a saving faith in Jesus, in God, and that eventual glory of the kingdom of God, where God is going to resurrect us in mind, body, and spirit. As we commemorated today, it is because of the work of Jesus and our faith in God that God not only renews us in spirit, but eventually also with eternal life, that we're going to be resurrected with God in mind, body, and spirit. But that space between (laughs) that time when you... uh, believe, first believed in God, and that time when we will be resurrected again is called what? Life, (laughs) right? It's called sanctification. It's called uh, holiness. This process of taking off our sin nature that Jesus died for and putting on God's new nature and inheriting and living out God's kingdom that God wants to set up his kingdom where? In Jerusalem, that president, somebody helped establish the nation of Israel again? No, God's kingdom is established in every, every believer's heart throughout the world. That's where God's kingdom is established. And God wants to set it up and have his victory of the resurrection in each of our lives. We talked about last week that it's not very popular to talk about holiness and sanctification. Sanctification is a big word of taking off our old sin nature and putting on God's new nature. It's not very popular in the era of prosperity gospel or what uh, John Piper says, Pastors continually, week after week after week, it's like the congregation wants to be reminded that God loves us. Week after week, to remind us that God saved us, that we are forgiven from all our sins. Week after week, we're reminded. Love, grace, forgiveness, and then we repeat it. We commemorate it with communion 12 times a year. 52 times a week, we're reminded of God's love for us, that God did this work for us. Jesus Christ, when you're in Sunday school, is always the answer. If you're a car enthusiast, Miata is always the answer. Spells Miata, if you spell out the acronym for Miata, M is Miata is always the answer. (laughs) Talk to me after. I'll explain it later for you. So unless you're on your deathbed, unless you're unsaved, which means you haven't trusted God with your moral life, or if you're having a thief on the cross moment, the work of Jesus was one day in your life. Why do we commemorate it so often? In fact, I was thinking, It'd be interesting, rather than just reciting what Jesus did, it'd be interesting to have people come up, maybe once a month that we do this, to give their testimony of when they trusted God, God's work in their life. 
and what life has been like afterwards. In fact, if you were to give your testimony I shared, it should take three minutes or less what your life was before Christ, your life when you gained a saving faith in Jesus, God, and what God is doing in your life afterwards. We are saved not just to revel in what Jesus did for us the rest of our lives, but we are saved for the good works and to help usher in the kingdom of God in our lives. That is this topic of holiness. How has your life been changed? How has it looked taking off this old self and putting on the new self? So what keeps us from this metamorphosis? Um, it actually is some, the influence of Greek thought in our Western world. I'll just touch on this. Um, in Greek thought, out of all of our Western world is, is kind of influenced by Greek thought. And Greek thought thought that the body is corrupt. And what is supreme is the mind, thought. Just like when Jesus, uh, when the Apostle Paul went to Rome and was preaching in the, it was the, oh God, what was the name? It was, it was this big court, right? And the Apostle Paul was preaching and they said, what is this new knowledge you have? They were excited to hear this new thing that he was talking about, this new gnosis, to know this new thought. Because for Greek thought, the mind, the thought, the concept was the most important thing. The body was just the body. <laughs> um, you know, we live and die and what we do with it, morality really didn't matter. So it has definitely invaded our Western thought. So if you think about it, let's see, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? So that grace may increase this good news? By no means. We are, we are those who have died to sin. But how can we go on living? How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? death we were therefore buried with him through baptism in order that... Uh, in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too will have a new life, okay? So what keeps us stuck in the flesh? Um, I just uh, put a few thoughts here. You're going to have to listen to me. I see all of you squinting. <laughs> so it's not meant for you to read. So eyes on me, eyes on me, all right? So... Just a few thoughts. What keeps us stuck? Part of it is this Greek thought that um, the mind and thought and knowledge are the most important. So last time I talked about, um, the Apostle Paul said, it's basically idolatry that keeps us from holiness. The worship of the self, the worship of the flesh over God and holiness. It keeps us from uh, putting on the new self. We talked upon Greek thought, the thought that the mind and the spirit are supreme over the corrupt body. Therefore, we prefer knowledge and feeling-based religion over holiness. You think about it, what churches are the most popular now? 
What churches? Bible churches. Knowledge, right? The spread of denominationalism, right? I always wondered growing up in the church, why are we Baptist? <laughs> right? Are Baptist, do Baptists have the right way <laughs> versus the charismatic way, the Pentecostal way, the Presbyterian church over there, the Roman Catholic way? When I was growing up, when I was uh, talking with my uh, schoolmates and classmates, it was always a little awkward conversation of who had the truth, right? So Greek thought causes us to center on precepts, knowledge. And besides knowledge-based churches, what are, what's popular, right? The charismatic churches, right? You go to church and the feeling of worship, contemporary worship, you get a good feeling. But we prefer... It's easier the mind and the spirit religions over the rigors of putting to death the flesh and putting on God's character. We prefer that holiness be left to the next life, right? We talk about the resurrection. We talk about when God is going to renew us in mind, body, and spirit. And we often refer to heaven, okay, right? It's kind of put off until then. Well, what about our life now? We sometimes talk about uh, our testimony when we came to faith, a saving faith in Christ, and then we talk about heaven, <laughs> eternal life. Is, is that all our faith means? It's coming to faith in the work of Christ, and then when we get to heaven, we're going to inherit something supernatural? For there's another reason why we have an aversion to this holiness concept. And it has to do with our, the, the era that we li live in now, 2,000 years post when Jesus came to this earth. Many, many years since the Roman Catholic Church was prominent, right? This was the time of Martin Luther and the Reformation, right? It was a revulsion from a works theology of Roman Catholicism. And many, many uh, other denominations where it talks about grace and you have to do certain things. Jesus and you have to do these things, right? So when we talk about uh, holiness and a faith that uh, produces good works, there's kind of a, a uh, you know, a Protestant, Protestant, uh, a, a Reformation reversion or repulsion to a works theology. So the other reason why uh, holiness is not preached about in our churches today it could either lead to an unattainable yoke, so it, uh, it leads to um, a lot of guilt, right? A bully pulpit. Um, people leave with feelings of guilt, not feeling good enough, right? Um, it leads to what's called the Catholic guilt, <laughs> right? You're not doing all the right things to be a good Catholic, a good Presbyterian. So, it also leads to also a lot of pride as well. And so Jesus spoke about, preached about this many times against the Pharisees, uh, their religious pride of 
of doing so many things. And finally, it comes down to, again, idolatry. Taking part of God's word, God's love and grace and forgiveness for my sins. You know, coming to church for a good vibe, a contemporary worship service, a good feeling, a good little bit of teaching. Versus having a lackluster, carnal faith. Last time I said, why is it that we have such a hard time with holiness? It's like taking off a poopy diaper, right? When we're in a poopy diaper, the kids, our babies, are just happy as a clam. But as soon as you rip off the... And then the coldness uh, comes on their flesh. They start, that's when they start crying. That's when they're uncomfortable. So what you hear, see here is, let's, mom says, let's go change your poopy diaper. And she runs away and starts screaming. So that's us and holiness. When God wants to change us, when God wants to move us to holiness, we run away. We have an aversion to it. So I titled this series, The Secrets to a Transformed Life. And last time I talked about, it's sad if you don't have these three, three things. Get plugged into a group of believers that provide support, accountability, and discipleship. Support, accountability, and discipleship. And the example that we have been using is the 12-step model, which you can look up in a Christian 12-step model called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery. Um, there are many materials produced by Saddleback Church in L.A. Celebrate Recovery. Coming together, they have group guidelines when you come together. It's not just like Forrest Gump's uh, box of chocolates where you never know what you're going to get. But you go to a group, and they have guidelines for group sharing. Strict confidentiality creates safety in sharing. No interrupting or fixing. Speaking only for yourself and to work your steps and seeking out a mentor or accountability partner. So I see in the Celebrate Recovery groups, the 12-step groups, very much modeled like Luke 15 that we have been sharing, the journey of the prodigal son, these key elements of support, accountability, and a uh, distinguishable steps for discipleship. In the 12-step program, Celebrate Recovery, you will see a relational discipleship model and not just bits of knowledge. If you have ever went to Catholic catechism, it is a book about this thick that you have to memorize and recite back to whoever's uh, as you go through it. And if you pass the class, you get through catechism. And they basically teach you by knowledge how to become a good Catholic. If you go to a membership class in a Presbyterian church, they will teach you how to become a good Presbyterian, based on knowledge. But the thing here is more than knowledge, but what I propose, the secret to transformation, is a relational catechism. Catechism with a small c means simply a 
a way of learning, okay? A way of learning. And if you do these five key relationships, I believe this is key. Establishing and maintaining a relationship with God, investing in the Christian community, that is friends that are on the same journey, not doing it alone. Two, seeking an accountability partner or a mentor. Four, mentoring others, like being a big brother or big sister to others. And then finally, serving your neighbor. Serving your neighbor outside of just ourselves. In the Christian 12-step program, the Celebrate Recovery program, here it is laid out for us. A saving faith in God is steps one, two, and three. Admitting that we're powerless over our sin nature, coming to hope and faith that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity, and putting our trust and faith in God. That, those are steps one, two, and three. We covered in the last few weeks steps four through seven, taking a fearless moral inventory. What is that? Taking a hard look at our old self, confessing this to God, ourselves, and another person, becoming ready to remove these imperfections. Step seven, asking God to remove all our character defects. We talked about this, didn't we? Planting seeds, pulling weeds. This is the process of holiness. Reconciliation. We talked about this, this part of the 12-step program or Celebrate Recovery is kind of nowhere to be found in our Christian churches. This is putting on a new self. Step eight, making a list of all the persons that we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them. Step nine, making direct amends to such persons whenever possible. Step 10, continuing to make a personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. You see, this is much different than a knowledge-based religion, right? Why am I teaching you a 12-step program, <laughs> okay? Why? Because it's real. It takes you from a saving faith in Jesus. God empowers us, puts to death, we identify with the cross, we died with cross. We crucified that nature. And God wants to change us to have a metamorphosis in our lives. Why go through a 12-step program? I'm going I'm to bring up uh, my brother, Jim. Um, he's no longer with us. This is when I was at the other church. Um, Jim was a senior who came to our seniors Bible study. Um, and getting to know him a little bit, it was discovered that he had advanced cancer. And he was joining our fellowship, and uh, great for him. He was coming to worship God and uh, build relationships with other people. And after a number of weeks, I kind of counseled him and encouraged him that what he really doesn't need right now is more knowledge in Bible study, okay? Um, I encouraged him, I go, you know what? This Celebrate Recovery program is kind of a generic program for life change and, and recon reconciling yourself to God, reconciling yourself, making peace with yourself, and reconciling with others. 
And at first, he kind of scratched his head and uh, kind of looked at me kind of weird. And over a number of weeks, he thought I was a little uh, nutso myself. Like he was thinking, I don't need a 12-step program, man. I'm not addicted to anything. So I let him know. I encouraged him to uh, think about it. And uh, he went on a little journey of journaling and working these steps. And uh, it brought him closer to God. It, it allowed him to love and ex- experience God's love more with God and forgiveness. It allowed him to experience more love and forgiveness for himself. And these steps of making amends with his children over a lifetime that soon he wasn't going to be here anymore. It was amazing to see his journey that I was privileged and happy that I was able to mentor him in the last, I don't know how long he was with us, maybe a couple years he was with us. But Brother Jim, uh, I saw peace come in his life as he took these steps. And I was, I am glad to say I was privileged to know uh, Jim for those years. Lastly, step 11 and 12. We sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. What does that sound like? We covered this, right? Those of you that uh, a lot of the world, Christianity has a little aversion to the 12-step program. They think it's too secular. But what does this step sound like? We covered this. Very much in the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we're praying for. And then step 12, having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message out to others and to per practice these principles in all our affairs. I put outreach there, okay? Reaching out to others. When we have a small group, we always talk about what? The empty chair. To remind us that God saves us for a purpose, and it's not just all about us. It's not just all about having more knowledge. To be, God doesn't want us to become a Pharisee with no action, Right? God doesn't want us to just have a fun emotional experience, right? What does the Apostle Paul says about the spiritual gift? If I could speak in tongues and all these things, but don't have love for one another, I'm just a noisy gong. I'm just noise. So the secrets to a transformed life is a relational catechism. The secrets to holiness is relational change, is relational discipleship versus just more knowledge. So I propose it's establishing key five relationships, and we're going to be covering these over the next few weeks. And the first one is establishing and remaining in God. And that's our passage today is John chapter 15. And we'll go through some of these verses as we wrap up our focus today. It doesn't work without God. And we do commemorate, and that's probably the biggest, 
the most important thing that we do with communion. Once a month, we commemorate that it's all about God. Jesus Christ is always the answer, just like Miata is always the answer. <laughs> Jesus is always the answer. Jesus says, I am the true vine. This is at John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, which basically says, I want you to do these things and be holy, not for the relationship, because of the relationship because of the relationship that I established in you. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Jesus says bluntly, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire, and burned. Verse 6 packs a lot, and we'll save that for another day to talk about what that might mean. Verse 7, Jesus continues, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As a father has loved me, so I love you, have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my, my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So Jesus' command is that we love one another. In verse 12, this is my command. This is how you remain in my love, that you love one another. Not just love with brotherly love, but love like the love that the Father loved us. And he goes on to explain what this means. This is agape love. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is agape love, sacrificial love, unconditional love, the kind of love that's described in Luke 15 with the return of the prodigal son that we covered just recently. So again, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do, do nothing. You can remain in my love. This is how you do it, by following my commandments. And this is my command, that you love one another. So wrapping up here, the secret to a transformed life, a metamorphosis that we look forward to, is to have yourself accountable to a group of believers that provides support, accountability, and a real discipleship, not just knowledge or feeling. A relational catechism, not knowledge only.
So I propose a balance of biblical relationships with fellow believers, a mentor, mentoring others, and then service. This is what God needs. Not just sitting and gathering more knowledge. So closing up, this is my closing slide. Let us possess what Jesus died for that we commemorated today. Our faith isn't just in the death of Jesus. We don't worship a dead Savior. We worship what? A risen and resurrected Savior. God saved us. That's our testimony when we take communion. We reminded when I gave my life to Christ or I accepted God's forgiveness for that moral gap between us and God. And let us Jesus was raised from the dead, so God saved us for a purpose. When I accepted Christ as a junior hire, it was one day in my life. <laughs> it was one day. And I commemorate that. But we were made for transformation. God does not want to leave us in a poopy diaper, okay? God wants us to put to death crucify the flesh, and be raised with a new body in holiness, in mind, not only in spirit, but also our bodies. God wants to transform us. We need to prefer the rigors of putting death to the flesh and putting on God's character. Very much like the Apostle Paul says, like straining for the prize, like an Olympic athlete straining for that prize. This is what God wants for us. We need to prefer holiness, not to be left for that future, but to claim it now. We need to develop a balanced religion of faith in Christ that produces good works. A metamorphosis of our mind, body, and spirit, and like the 12-step program, with our relations with God, ourselves, and others. And then finally, we need to rely on, and maybe that's why we commemorate communion, is that we don't need to put on guilt layered and layered on us, that we need to do more and more. But what does Jesus say of our yoke of this? A yoke is uh, that thing that... Uh, you put on an, 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 a beast of burden's neck to pull the cart and the plow and the hoe. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for putting a yoke of burden on the people, the, the law that they couldn't attain, right? More religion, more things to do, more guilt, which leads to pride. What did Jesus say his yoke was? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the path of holiness and transformation. When we rely, this is where pride fades away, when we rely on the power of Jesus' supernatural power for supernatural, a supernatural life. So this is what I'm going to encourage uh, this vision toward is that we worship out of reverence for the gospel of Jesus, for the sin of the world, but let us trust and learn to walk on water. Let us learn to get out of the boat and stop living a mediocre life.
The God, the holiness that God wants for us is a transformed life, a supernatural life, a walking on water life, not a lackluster life. And we get there by straining, putting on Christ, taking off the old self. So the type of life that God wants for us, I just put, I just listed four of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? When you have God's true spirit on it, in us, in Galatians, it leads to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. But it leads to agape love, God's kind of love, not, not the kind of love that we know. It's a kind of love that loves others even though they don't love you back. The Bible says even non-believers do that. In a transactional way, right? God wants to give us joy, spiritual joy, even when circumstances are going bad and having the power to handle having a prodigal son or daughter in our life, handling rejection, autism, cancer, the lost job, discrimination, having joy, like the Apostle Paul in prison. Having peace in the midst of turmoil, with the chaos, with the diagnoses, with the caregiving, with the miscarriages, with the losses. God wants to give us supernatural power. Even in my Facebook post today, our brother Ken, our brother Ken Fong, just shared that his wife, his wife is placed on uh, hospice care this past week. God wants to give us love and joy and peace, even in the midst of the losses. Patience when circumstances are trying. Kindness when there is hate. Jesus says in this passage in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine. I want to give you supernatural power, the kind of fruit that transforms lives and relationships. So let's close with meditating on this song. Some of the lyrics go, it's called Oceans. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where my feet may fail. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. When your grace abounds in the deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. In closing, Jesus says again, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine. You are the branches. The supernatural, the kind of fruit that transforms lives and relationships, the kind of fruit that allows us to walk on waters in oceans deep.